to eventually do syndications. That's how we all scale in the business and grow. Purchased a few properties on my own, and thank God <laughs> the numbers are great so far. And so the next step is to start doing some syndications, and we decided to focus on the self-storage space. That was Steph Boldrini, principal of Monte Carlo Real Estate Investments. In today's episode, Steph will tell us why her word of the year is scale, and what she learned investing in venture capital, and then why she pivoted to real estate syndications. Stay tuned. The limited partner shares in the potentially outsized returns of a well-planned and executed investment, but as a passive investor, and has the maximum leverage on their most precious asset, their time. And that is why we're here together. 90% of the millionaires out there built their net worth with real estate. However, 0% of the billionaires are hands-on managing the real estate assets because there simply isn't enough time. My name is Jake Wiley, and for the past 16 years, I've been investing in real estate, and I've learned a thing or two. But the most important lesson is how to leverage the expertise and time of others to maximize your investment potential. Welcome to the Limited Partner Podcast. Well, all right. Welcome, partners. Again, this is your host, Jake Wiley. Really excited. This week, I'm joined by Steph Boldrini. So she is the principal at Monte Carlo Real Estate Investments. Steph, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Jake. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm glad you're here. And I think this is going to be a great conversation. But for those of you guys out there that don't know Steph, Steph, I'm going to give you a second to give us your background. Tell us how you got started and what you're doing now. Sure. I got started about four years ago when I started investing in startups as an angel investor just for fun while I was working in tech sales in the Silicon Valley. And at the time I was dating someone who was a real estate investor and it became very clear that real estate was a much better, safer form of investment with a lot more benefits than angel investing. And I decided to learn everything that I possibly could started taking notes, asking questions, and the rest is history. Then, you know, ended up purchasing my first portfolio. And now it's just about scaling. Well, that's awesome. So I guess, tell us about Monte Carlo. So what is the business there? Sure. So the goal is it's to eventually do syndications. That's how we all scale in the business and grow. But initially, my thought is to, you know, people want to make sure that they're investing with someone that has a proven track record. So I purchased a few properties on my own and thank God <laughs> the numbers are great so far. And so the next step is to start doing some syndications and we decided to focus on the self-storage space. Oh, so cool. So self-storage, well, let's actually just take a step back. So you started angel investing in VC. And then you kind of made this, you had this aha moment that real estate was a safer, better place to put your money. So one, I'd love to hear how you got started in VC, because that's obviously very specialized. And then really maybe the transition into real estate, what was it about real estate that was really attractive to you? Sure. So venture capital is a little different than angel investing. Venture capital, you're doing as a profession and you take your job incredibly serious. I was just doing for quote unquote, fun to put, you know, some thousands in a, a startups. And so I decided to go where the source, I thought what the source was, which is an incubator called Y Combinator. That is the best incubator that technically have the best startups coming out of it. So we invested on a handful of those startups 
and you know so far i think three of them are dead <laughs> and i realized that they were inflating a lot of the numbers on demo day and none of them were true and that was a huge disappointment and so with real estate not only are you able to leverage your money so with you know 100k you're able to buy 500k worth of property to put it simply you have tax benefits the real estate inevitably goes up over time even though there might be a dip every decade or so it has been going up forever and ever and it is i believe a friend of mine told me that 90% of wealth created in the world is from real estate so it's a proven asset class that unless you know you really don't do your job properly you can do extremely well in and you brought up a really great point to you about leverage on real estate, which I think I want to call out a little bit more, right? Because you think about if you invest in really anything outside of real estate, you know, it's dollar for dollar that's going into that investment, right? So if you've got $100 to put in towards VC or go to the stock market, and again, I know we're simplifying this a little bit, but that's what you're going to get, right? And let's just say on average, there's a 10% return. I know VC is kind of hit or miss and you can really make some make a killing. They're not all going to make it. But let's just say you go in the stock market, you get a 10% return on your money. Well, you get after a year, you've got 110 bucks, right? Yeah. Whereas real estate <laughs> is different, right? Because you can say, let's just use simple numbers. You can leverage 80% of it, right? So your $100 is significantly more, right? Like yeah. Put $200 into a project and all of a sudden you've got $1,000 worth of real estate. Like, I mean, that is a significant amount of money. And then if you have, you know, a 10% return on $1,000, like you've made a hundred bucks on your $200 invested. So now you're at a 50% return. So that, that it's, that's really powerful. I'm glad you called that out. Exactly. And we're not even touching on the tax benefits, right? Which adds another layer of benefit. Let's talk about it. Tell me about the tax benefits because I think these are really important aspects. Well, depreciation is number one, right? If you purchase a commercial property, you can depreciate a lot of it in the first five years. You can do cost segregation studies to depreciate your property. And so even though you might end up paying those taxes 30 years from now, right? You're still able to use those numbers that you're saving today, which first of all, there will be a huge inflation 30 years from now on those dollars, right? You can also invest those dollars in another property. So it's the beauty of being in this country. And, you know, thank God every day that I'm here with all the opportunities that we have. Yeah, that's, uh, I like that call out as well, because you, you think about depreciation, it's, you make a really good point. A lot of people don't really talk about the fact that you're going to have to pay on the depreciation gains or the losses essentially at some point, but that's down the road. So like, let's say you invest in a property, right? you are able to do a cost segregation, you accelerate your depreciation forward. So even if the property is, is cash flowing positive today, when you fill out your taxes because of depreciation, and especially if you use cost segregation to shorten the length of time on a lot of those assets that you're depreciating, you will actually show a loss on your tax return today, right? So you're not having to yeah. pay taxes. So what that does is that gives you the ability to take that cash and correct me if I'm wrong, right? So you take that cash and then you can reinvest yeah. that cash, right? And then you can keep going. And because you can keep doing that, then like you think about inflation is like what you actually owe down the road is also offset by the fact that like the value of the dollar 
is effectively decreasing, right? So exactly. you can invest a dollar today that's worth more than it would be in the future. Exactly. How beautiful is that? <laughs> it's amazing. And I mean, I think it's what I find often, especially in real estate space, is that people talk about this depreciation like it's just magic. Nobody ever really calls out the fact that like, well, you have to pay it back at some point, right? Because like, right. you're depreciating your right. basis. So just maybe even make that clear. So let's just say you bought a property for a hundred bucks and you're able to depreciate it over a handful of years. And like that hundred dollars is effectively an expense, right? And then like you haven't had to pay any taxes. And then you go and sell the thing for 200 bucks down the road. Well, you've got a gain of the full $200, right? Because you've de depreciated your original investment all the way down to zero. So you're going to have to right. pay back those expenses, but that's with future money, right? Money that's yeah. your basis is, you know, like essentially the value of the dollar decreases every year because of inflation. It's really powerful. Exactly. Just don't think about the inflation that we went through so far <laughs> this year, right? Correct. Yeah, this, is, <laughs> this has been a crazy <laughs> Well, let's talk about maybe your, some of your first investments. Let's start with like some of the benefits that you found or like what did you like about getting into real estate? And then maybe we'll talk about some of the things that if you could go back in time, you would have done better. But let's talk about the wins. The wins. Learning a lot and meeting incredible people. I really love the real estate world because people are so helpful and they're so genuine and they're there for you. So I can call up you know, anybody that I've met and they will go ahead and help or provide feedback or ideas for whatever I'm going through. So that is really nice to be part of this kind of industry. Other thing that the, the fact that rent goes up over time. I'm not in multifamily, I'm in self storage and we can increase the price as often as we would like. Of course, we don't do it every month, but that's another beauty that after the first year you start to okay, yeah, I get it. <laughs> this is going to continue for a very long time. And then eventually you can refinance your property, take money out. You don't have to sell it. You can buy more properties with the money that you're taking out because you have increased the rent. And now you have a property that is valued more based on the income and you can continue your investments. Well, let me ask you this. So self-storage is you know, very hot right now, but why did you pick self-storage? versus any of the other asset classes, like you mentioned multifamily, but tell me what's, what was attractive about self-storage? That's a really good question. So multifamily, I never wanted to deal with the tenants and the stories that I'm sure, even if I'm not managing the property myself, I just don't want to be involved in that. And also the fact that self-storage, I was literally just listening to some real estate podcasts and this guest came in and they said that it's not only does well in good times, but it also does well in bad times. So in good times, people are buying more and more things and they need storage. And in bad times, they're downsizing. They still need storage. And like a lot of people, I knew a recession was around the corner at some point for the last five years, at least. And so I said, well, I do not want to risk investing in retail, which is what my ex was doing. And I also don't know where retail is going. I cannot guarantee, you know, that it's going to be at full force in the next 10 to 20 years. So I decided to do the self-storage for those reasons. 
Yeah, so I've heard similar facts about self-storage too, is that it's a transitory asset, meaning that like everybody's always kind of like transiting somewhere. So either things are good and they're kind of moving up or, you know, they've got excess things or it's bad and they're moving down and they've got to put stuff places. I know that, you know, funny story about self-storage is, you know, last probably one of the last two units that I've rented you know, I had to like sign some sort of disclaimer that I would not move into my self-storage unit. So apparently like people living in those things is actually an issue. Have you, I'm just out of curiosity, is that ever something that's come up for you? Not yet, as far as I know, but we did have our first break in the other day. So that was oh, not man. fun, but the tenants were very gracious. I have to say, you know, I'm a firm believer of uh, letting them know as soon as possible and treating them with the utmost respect and so we explained everything that happened. And even though they did not have insurance and they have to get their own insurance for their, their items, they were very nice about it. And, you know, despite the fact that it was a bad event, they were very gracious, I have to say. So in terms of, you know, I guess scaling, we kind of hinted at that, but actually maybe before we get into it, let's talk about maybe what are some of the mistakes that either you've made or you've seen along the way that you want to call out for our, our listeners out there to say, like, don't do this. <laughs> yes. Don't invest in car washes. <laughs> 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 yeah. This self-storage was a portfolio of car washes and self-storage. And I said, oh, how hard could it be to learn car washes? And it's been quite a journey. And I decided to hopefully exit them as soon as possible or convert them. I don't know what we're going to do yet, but I decided not to pursue car washes. And that's a personal choice as well. I have to say that the numbers are phenomenal in car washes. I personally don't want to deal with things that break all the time, people trying to break into the car washes. We are in a location that not everybody has credit cards or debit cards, so we still have to take coins on top of credit and debit. So people do try to break in, even though there's just, <laughs> we collect every day and there's just like $5 there whenever people try to break in at night. So it's really fascinating. And also I decided not to deal with these kind of employees that you know, people quit without giving notice or they don't show up for work. So for those reasons, I decided not to do car washes. But if numbers is all that matters for you and you are somehow a magical manager that, you know, can only get amazing employees, by all means, go for it. It's just not for me. You're hitting on something that's really interesting there because you think about real estate and passive investing and that's really the goal, right? You want to get to a place <laughs> where your asset is yeah. just generating cash flow for you. And you know, it, it would never be to say that like you would not have to do anything or have employees. But with a car wash, it sounds like you inherited more of a business too, right? Exactly. So that it's it's different. And I think that it's kind of to each their own. Like to your point, if you are really great at managing businesses at multiple locations and somewhat of a kind of a transient field, sure, that might be for you because the cash flow is high. But if you're not and you're really truly looking for a passive investment, then you know, sticking more towards a traditional real estate type asset. So self-storage, yes, there are people that have to work there, but it's you know not necessarily totally you know so dependent on a bunch of people showing up. Multifamily, you know, same thing. And you can outsource some of that too. Yeah. You can have a property yeah. manager come and take over. And I don't know if that is is that the same in self-storage? Can you have a professional yeah. management company do that? Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, I think these three asset classes would be also, in my opinion, considered businesses, multifamily, self-storage, and car washes. I think retail and office and industrial are more on the really way more passive than any of these. But yeah, all of them, all of the above, you can outsource it. It depends on how, what you want to focus on and what kind of people you want to work with. So what else? What are the other mistakes that you've learned along the way besides inheriting car washes with your real estate? Sure. When I purchased this portfolio, I was just working with one lender. And in the end, they decided to just ask me to put all of the money that we were borrowing cash in the bank for the period, the entirety of the loan. And so the mistake there was not to be working with other lenders. And so now we have to get approved by two lenders minimum. And I do not want to hear a bait and switch at the end of the, when we're you know ready to close. Thankfully, we were able to work things out with this lender, which is another lesson. You can always negotiate, get on the call and say, okay, let's talk about this. You know, why are you thinking that you need this money locked up? Okay, I have no experience with car washes. I totally understand. But, you know, here's all the other experiences that we have and the track record. And also the numbers of the property look really good. So we decided, we agreed <laughs> on giving in a little bit to both of us. But yeah, that was one of another big lesson to make sure you are approved with at least two lenders. So there are no surprises. Yeah, that's a good point. I think a lot of times when you're in a lender relationship, it feels adversarial, right? It almost feels like they don't want to lend you money. And it, it does, but they are actually in the business of lending and they actually yeah. only get paid when they make loans. So to your point, as solid as sometimes you just feel like, hey, look, you just don't even want to do this. You know, like, I'll just move on. But, or, you know, they just drag along to the end and then they make change a bunch of terms. And I've definitely lost a property that way where a lender just decided kind of at the ninth hour, oh, we want to look at something else or we need something else. And it's like, it just took too long and it cost a bunch of money. But at the same time, they do want to lend because that's how they get paid. So there is yeah. generally an, an opportunity to negotiate. Especially to good operators, right? That's their business. They want to make sure that they're continuing to work with people that are good operators because that means that their loans are going to get paid on time. That's right. Well, what's next? I know you kind of mentioned scaling and what are you thinking is the next step in your journey here? Yeah, this year, the word of the year for me is scaling. So I'm looking at some partnerships with some people that are in the self-storage world. So we'll partner up and grow exponentially that way. I'll probably do the fundraising and they're experts on finding properties and operating them. So that's probably the next step. And if not, I'll just continue investing in self-storage with my close friends that know that I've been doing this for a while and are very ready and able to make some investments. Well, I guess as we think about potential investors, right, if you talk about being on the fundraising side, what would you tell a prospective investor, limited partner, about one, maybe self-storage, but two, what they should be looking for in operators. Because I think you also highlighted that you got to find the right ones, which I think my audience out there knows by now that I am a huge proponent of doing your diligence up front. <laughs> Absolutely. If I was starting myself as a limited 
partner. I would be going to conferences, meeting people and asking the people that I trust for recommendations of good operators. I would do some research. There are some groups out there that they actually rate some syndicators. And so I would join these groups as well. And I would talk to people. Of course, they have to have a track record and they have to be good communicators. That's another thing that I hear all the time from friends of mine who are investors in syndications that a lot of people don't communicate, good or bad, right? You have to communicate as a syndicator because you don't want people wondering what's happening to your property. And it's okay if it's bad news. How many stockbrokers are <laughs> giving bad news this month, right? They probably lost 50% of people's money this month alone. So you have to communicate and be working with people that have a good track record. Now, what about what about like following or picking the right asset class, right? So you pick self-storage. There's obviously a bunch of different ones. You mentioned office, industrial. How would you go about finding, telling somebody like, this is how you'd pick the right one for you? Well, in 2020, my word of the year was diversification. So it's whatever is important to you, right? It's your investment methodology. If you want to diversify and make sure that, you know, you have some self-storage because it's proven that it does well in good and bad economies and also multifamily because there is a housing shortage and it's there and it's real and also industrial, right? A lot of people, we are, it's, there is no turning back. We are moving to buying everything online. So I like diversifying my investments. So it's really what is important to them. Are they looking for great returns? Then put your money in car washes. So it really varies on what is important to you, in my opinion. Now, what about geography? What are your thoughts on the right areas? Do you have an opinion? Yeah. Where are you investing? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I'm still living in California, but I'm not <laughs> investing here for obvious reasons. So I think you have to invest in a state that is growing and that is business friendly, a state that, you know, understands that being an entrepreneur is not easy. Investments are not easy. We're literally risking a lot. And so states that understand that and also are there to support you, you know, for example, in multifamily states that if the tenant doesn't pay, they're out within, I don't know, a month, let's say. So, and also markets that are growing on top of that. So markets that have population growth and diverse industries. So uh, I know people that were investing in industries that in cities that were solely doing automobile. They were driven by the auto industry back in 08. And that got hit huge, significantly in 2008. And from one day to another, literally from a Sunday to a Monday, someone had 40 moving trucks on their property. And none of them were scheduled move outs. And that was an auto driven market. So you have to have a market that has a diverse set of industry, healthcare, government, tech, whatever it is, but it has to be healthy and in a state that is business friendly, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's a really great point because not every state is the same. I know California in particular has some crazy like rent moratorium rules where it's like you can't even end somebody's lease at the end of their natural lease termination at this point. Like it's really, I have really stories. Yeah, it is. It is something else. And, you know, other states, to your point, are great. It's like, you know, whatever the lease says, like, that's the law. And like, that's how you manage your property. And like, that's fine. So as a limited partner out there or a potential investor looking at properties, 
you do need to look at the state. You need to understand what the plan is. Like, what are the risks associated with it? Because they're not all created equal. So I think that was a really fantastic point. Yeah. And what are they also bringing to the state, right? For example, I know Miami is huge in crypto right now, and they want to be the crypto capital of the world. I know that Texas is welcoming a lot of, I believe, wind farms or energy farms. So yeah, do your research and find out what they are encouraging as well in their state. Well, Steph, this has been great. There's a lot of information here. I appreciate it. I think that you know, getting your take on self-storage, we've really been heavy on multifamily thus far in the past. So that was really great to kind of get into self-storage and how you got there. But I like to end every show with a little bit of gratitude because none of us, to your point, got to where we are by ourselves. You know, somebody gave us a leg up. We had a good network. But I wanted to give you an opportunity, a little public forum to give somebody a shout out that's helped you along the way. Yeah, I'll give my first sales boss a shout out, Margaret Hungerbeats. She always told me to follow up. And that is so true for everything that we do, not only real estate and take notes to take notes. <laughs> <laughs> so that has helped me a lot, not only in my sales career, but also in my real estate investing career. I love that. Hopefully, maybe Margaret will hear that because sometimes when you're telling people stuff, it feels like it's just falling on deaf ears, but you know, it's really helped you. So that's great. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Steph, this has been a great show. Thank you so much for being on the podcast with me. Thank you so much for having me, Jake. I appreciate it. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode, and I'd actually love for you to contribute to a future episode. If you have a question you'd like answered or a topic or a guest to bring on the show, please email me at jake at thelimitedpartner.com. Now I realize there's a lot of lingo that's thrown around on these shows, so I've created a cheat sheet for you with the top 26 terms that come up most often. Head on over to thelimitedpartner.com forward slash lingo for the list. Enjoy, and we'll see you next time.